Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast, which stands for Dear Bitches and Smart Authors. Please don't tell iTunes, they don't like that name. This week, Jane and I are talking about my nefarious plans for romantic times in 2012. We talk about characters who have sex in front of other people in the course of the story. We have some reader mail from my inbox, and Jane tries to recommend books to me, but it doesn't really go all that well. And now, on with the podcast. tell you what I am planning to do at RT? No. Okay. I have hooked up with the bone marrow registry and we are, I'm going to try to arrange with RT to do boner donor bingo at RT where we're all going to play bingo with candy and I'm hoping to have some penis candy thrown in there as well, but to also raise awareness of how easy it is to register for the bone marrow registry. If you are a minority and if you're not like everyday mixed white person with lots of different heritage, there's none of you in the bone marrow registry. For some reason, most of the registry is comprised of Caucasians of mixed heritage. There are very few Asian people. There are very few Indian people, uh, South Asian, African-American and Latino people in the bone marrow registry, which means that if you're found to have leukemia, a bone marrow transplant would cure you. But your chances of finding a match in the registry go from... I think it's one in 5,000 if you're Caucasian to one in 75,000 if you're not. Now, well, I go you and you and Suzanne Brockman, she had this drive a while back. Here's my feeling on that whole sort of thing. It's easy to be tested, but giving bone marrow is very painful. No, it's not actually. They changed the way they do it. That's what I thought. It's not. Um, Most donors take a, you have to get two shots and give blood for longer than it takes to give normal blood. Nobody has to drill your bone. No one has to drill your pelvis. You have two shots to increase the number of blood-making cells in your blood. And your body goes ahead and makes all those cells. And then they have you donate blood and they spin out those cells and then put the rest of your blood back so you don't feel like crap afterward. And you have to give blood for maybe two hours. But that donation will cure somebody of leukemia most likely if you're a match. And they only have you come and do that if you're if you're definitely a match and they do typing to make sure that they don't waste your time and, you know, your blood. So it's not as painful as having a, a, a drill on your pelvis, which is what they used to have to do. There's a whole other way to do it now. Plus, you sign up for the registry by swabbing your cheek shell, cheek, cheek cells. And there's ample room for cheeky jokes and bone and drill and boner jokes. So I figure this would be fun. And even if people don't register on site. They would be more aware of it. So that's my goal. Boner, boner donor bingo. Plus every candy and prizes. I'm actually having a hard time finding something to read right now which I'm sure makes your little antenna go, whoop, whoop, I can recommend a book. Um, when During the Harlequin half-off sale, I bought a ton of books and organized them by plot and did all this great tagging so I knew exactly where they were. And I've been reading them, and I've read a couple of good ones, and I've read some that are horrible, 
horrible bad. Like there is one that I'm still not done writing the review. It is every cliche ever, including at one point where the heroine ends up with the hero because she can tell him apart from his twin brother. I'm telling you, Jude Devereaux, she is the she is birthplace of all sins. <laughs> she is just the origin of all cliche. Well, I read a ton over the holiday. Um, I read several uh, indie YAs, and I found that I can't even bring myself to buy a book more than $3.99. Um, I had a couple of people recommend some $9.99 YA books to me, and I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> I've probably read 10 books in the last five days. Wow. Well, that's not true. You Today's have been Thursday. on vacation. Today's Thursday, so probably 10 books in the last eight days. I read Angel Fall by Susan E.E., e., which was a 99-cent um, paranormal. I, I think it is marketed as a YA, but the only thing YA about it is that the heroine uh, – refers to herself as a teen about three times but what the teen uh, refers to themselves as a teen well she doesn't refer to herself as a teen but ah. uh, i mean the reference she it's told in first person so when she uses the te word teen obviously she's referring to herself but um so it's like in the narration not that she's saying right. hey buddy i'm a teen so to speak <laughs> Um, that would be very strange. But that that's an excellent, excellent book. And, and I mean, it's got some world building flaws, but you're not going to find a better book at nine nine ninety nine. No. Um, <coughs> I read a shocking a book. <laughs> Someone in the comments had recommended this book uh, called Generational Sins. And I like the description of it and I went over and it was like two ninety nine, so I bought it and I started reading it and I had to go back and say, wait a second, <laughs> for anybody who reads this, this has a really shocking opening scene. Whoa, really? Yes. What happens? Well, it's I it's not really erotic romance, but it's more like um erotica. And it it's about this guy who was abused by his father. Uh, and he doesn't really recognize he was abused, but his father is a, you know, misogynistic uh, man, and he takes it to extremes into the bedroom and the way he treats uh, the hero's mother. And, uh, you know, it's very demeaning. Ouch. And he's learned all of his life, this is the way you treat women. This is the manly way to do it. And when he's in college, he... Um, falls for this girl uh, who's very smart. He shares a lab with her. Oh, that's always hot. And they're both pre-med. And he, he has these desires. And, but, but he recognizes somehow that, you know, all of the things that he, his father taught him are wrong. So he feels guilty for his pleasure um, arising out of being a dominant and she is a submissive. And so she actually kind of teaches him that this is an okay feeling to have when it's a consensual between parties. And so it kind of explores uh, his coming to terms with his own sexual identity right. and the way in which he can explore that sexuality in a safe 
and non-humiliating um, manner. So that was actually pretty interesting, but the story opens with him at his house with his father, and he has to like perform sexually for his father what? with his girlfriend. Ah. And um, and the dad gets angry, like his the son isn't being demanding or demeaning enough, so he he calls for his wife to come in, and and then they start going at it just to show him show the son you know how it's done and i just wasn't prepared for that <laughs> wow i don't think i could handle that as an opening it, you know it it didn't need to be there i mean <clears throat> the only thing the only reason that that scene could have been included was for titillation or shock and you could have had the scene or you could have had a different scene i think and had the same type of response and I really never bought into it why they had to, why the girlfriend and, and the um, son had to engage in that. I mean, it was like they were held at gunpoint, which they weren't, and being forced into doing it. It was very strange. I remember being bothered by the, um, <coughs> excuse me, by a scene in the... Is it C.L. Wilson? The, yeah. the Faye series? In the first book, the parents of the heroine who are being held captive are let out of their cages and they basically just jump each other and have wild monkey sex while the, while the um, guards are looking on and they don't care. And I remember thinking, I don't think I could do that and I'm not sure that this works for me. And I and I couldn't think of a reason why that scene was in there. I don't think it if I remember it correctly, it didn't do anything except show that they really wanted to bone each other after being in adjoining cages. And that just didn't do it for me. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't know that it was the first book, but I but it was um I know exactly what you're talking about. And I actually didn't mind those scenes because they do for me, they uh they were part of the world building. These two had been tortured um, for year for centuries, right? And they were mated, and in and part of their mate bond was a physical one. And the and only they were thing being that, denied that physical bond, right? And and so every time they were allowed to be together, um, they reinforced their mate bond. Um, in that in that fashion it kind of it, it, it it's not dissimilar do you remember the uh susan john maybe you never read it but there was a susan johnson book oh and i'm not going to remember it but the hero is kidnapped and placed in a harem and the heroine is kidnapped and placed in a harem and they're both i think he's blinded but she's not or they're both blinded and they promise the hero that if he performs that ultimately he won't be killed and so the hero performs unknowingly with the heroine and the whole time he's thinking about that he's doing it for her and that you know he's making a sacrifice kind of like dimitri in um nalini singh's book although you never see it right 
Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. In and it didn't bother you. That's interesting. No, it did not bother me. Well, I have an email that I received to share with you because you were talking about um, what you'd be willing to pay for a book and how you just can't bring yourself to pay nine ninety nine. So this is a reader named Karen, and she was emailing me about um, Mel Jean Brooke and the and the novella that's going to be in the paperback version of the Iron Duke. Did you see this on Goodreads? Yep. The Iron Duke is coming out in paperback. And the ebook price is going to drop accordingly, but there's going to be a bonus novella in the paper copy that will not be in the ebook version, and it won't be included until much later when it will be published as a separate novella. And Mel Jean gives some perfectly valid reasons for this and explains that Berkeley can't update the digital file without interrupting the workflow of a whole bunch of other books, and she didn't want to self-publish it, so she has to wait until there's room in the room in the work chain to digitally publish the novella and this reader was just so bummed out because she's going to she's going to want to read it so badly <laughs> that she's going to go buy the paperback just for the novella and she's so frustrated about that and even though she understands she's really bummed out about it and I and I and I emailed with her and I said I I can see both sides of the problem and it totally sucks and I love that Mel Jean was totally upfront about why it was happening and what it meant for her fans. Um, I also think that it says a lot about how, how the ebook audience is perceived like, "Eh, it's okay. They can wait. Really? That's going to be a loud protest, especially if you have a rabid fan base, but okay, whatever works for you. So this is what Karen wrote later. I know there are still lots of people who buy paperback, but it sure seems to me that ebook is the way of the future. And from my point of view, it just feels like one big publisher flipping me and my e-reader the bird. So I'm going to take my money back to All Romance where Berkeley doesn't sell their books. I don't quite know why the what the argument is there. Oh, who am I kidding? When this novella comes out, I know I'm going to plunk down the cash for it because I love this series. I wish Berkeley wasn't even getting a piece of it. I wish it was Mel Jean Brooke publishing it. I thought her team did such a great job with Wild and Steamy. And I can understand making a sanity-saving decision and giving it to the publisher to handle because goodness knows I make that decisions like that too when my sanity is on the line. But I have to say I really do find myself buying fewer big six published books and I'm finding authors that I like at Karina Harlequin, Sam Hain, and Alora's Cave – because I love feeling like I'm getting a deal instead of getting screwed. And there are authors that I will pay full price for. Mel Jean Brooke is one of them. Nalini Singh's Psy Changeling series is another. J.C. Burton got so much of my money this year with that football book and the baseball sequel, but ouch, $10 a book. But I also had to get Lauren, Br- Lauren Dane's Brown Siblings books from the library twice. I love them, but I can't bring myself to pay $48 for four books. I just can't. Not when I can get $10 books on sale that I haven't even read yet. So... During the holiday sales at, at All Romance and Harlequin, I used my $50 to stock up on Sarah Mayberry and Karina Bliss and Victoria Dahl and Josh Lanyon, and I got a half a dozen new authors to try, and I don't think I paid more than $8 for a new author. So I'll stop ranting now, and I'll sum up. I hope the smaller ebook-friendly presses are raking in the money, and I hope the big six get a clue sometime soon. I thought that was a really perfect summary of reader frustration. And I, and I certainly don't mean to demean or denigrate Mel Jean Brooke because I think she had an excellent explanation for why the novella will not be digitized. And 
I also think it makes sense that you can't just interrupt the workflow, that there is a process that it is involved in creating a, a, an ebook, although many people think it involves file save as. It's not actually the case. Um, it's like file save as and then a couple other things afterward. I love that Brooke is being honest about it, but I think that this reader really summed up for me how frustrating it was and why her buying has changed because she wants new authors and she'll abandon favorites who aren't her absolute auto buy diehard, never, never stray favorites. And she'll abandon those, those not auto buy favorites to try new authors because their books are cheaper and they're not $10 a book, which I'm sure this isn't news to you, but I thought that was a brilliant summary of one reader's perspective. Yeah. The, the question is how substitutable are the lower price books for the higher price books? I, I would argue that it's there's a pretty high substitution rate yep. higher today than there was, you know, five years ago. Totally agree. So, you know, I read, I think six or seven indie books uh, out of the 10 and I didn't pay more than two ninety nine for any one of them. I think, no, that's not true. I think I paid three ninety nine for one. <gasps> and three ninety nine. And I, as I told someone who had uh, recommended me a book, I said, I just feel like, the higher price books don't provide three times the value. And that's kind of the the argument that John Locke was making. He's the um, thriller self-published author who's had a lot of success. He says that at 99 cents, those other authors have to be 10 times better than him. Um, and you, it's kind of, I kind of buy into that argument because even though, you know, in the self-published books I read, other than Angel Fall, there were typos and there were, you know, gr obvious grammatical errors and stuff. It wasn't so bad that I couldn't read it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've read 999 books and they aren't providing me that double or triple the experience. Right. And, you know, I worry about my own impact, my own habits impacting publishing because I want a quality book. You know, I want a book that's free of typos. I want a book that has table of contents and I want a book that's edited. One of the things that I when I rated all these books was I felt like there were really good stories, but they needed serious editing um, that the that self-published authors who aren't edited or don't have as good editors uh, and I'm talking content editors, not copy editors. Right. Um, often develop things that don't need to be, be developed and underdevelop important things or mm -hmm. insert. There, there was just this one book where the uh, the heroine goes up to her locker and then she turns to talk to someone and then she rubs her Harvard emblem. And I read that scene like three times thinking, well, where's the Harvard emblem? Is it on her backpack? Is it on her sweater? Is it in her <laughs> locker? Is it on a book? And it's just little things like that, that impede the uh, coherency of the story. Yep. And, and those are things that I think a content editor would help. And once you have that content editor, that person can really take your great voice and make your story so much more readable. I agree with you. Um, my my biggest frustration with buying um, indie and self-published books, I'm, I'm presuming that those those terms can pretty much be used interchangeably at, at this point. I, I have no idea, actually, <laughs> because I know that some indie publishers uh, are upset about the appropriation of the term by self-published authors. So an indie publisher is a publisher that's not owned by a larger conglomerate. 
Correct. But an indie published book is another term that's being adopted for self-published books. Right. And the self-published authors, smartly, uh, recognize that the term self-published has a lot of uh, uh, adverse baggage associated with that term. And so they've turned to a term that has less baggage, more prestige. I can see why that works. And I mean, what other term could you use? Author published? That's very close to self-published. I think taking a risk on a a self-published book that has almost no ratings um, is a higher risk than taking taking that same type of unknown author from traditionally published. Because in traditionally published books, some independent, impartial person has said, yes, this book is worth reading. That's not true for self-published books. There's no independent party who's come in and said, this book is worth reading. So- For example, for the books that I bought this weekend, I looked at the number of positive reviews. So if they had over 50 positive reviews, then I would read the excerpt. And if I like the excerpt, then I bought the book. Right. I don't buy or look at self-published books that have uh, a crappy cover and less than, you know, 50, 40 reviews. Which is sort of a sort of a a chicken and the egg situation because... How do you get the first review so that you get 49 more? Oh, I know. know. In fact, I have a, a article for Monday or Tuesday about whether readers owe a duty to other readers to start reviewing, uh, even just um, by giving one or two sentences on sites where we use reviews. You know, I uh, use the reviews on Amazon quite a bit, but I hardly ever leave my own reviews. Did I? Uh, but I, but may. But I ha- maybe I should start giving back to the Amazon community that I'm relying on. What about Goodreads? You review a lot there and you use those reviews, right? Right. But um, I use Goodreads in a different fashion. I use Goodreads a lot to record what I have to say because I want to communicate with other readers. I think that Goodreads is more of a community um, versus it's more of an interactive community, whereas I think Amazon reviews are kind of a passive community. Yes, but and I it's use, a suspect community, too, because there's a lot of people where you're like, oh, you're from the same town as the author. I see that. <laughs> well, you probably live next door, and that's why you gave it five stars. Well, Right. So, I, you know, um, but I'm there buying. That's the big difference. You know, right. I, my, my um, mouse is hovering over the buy button. <laughs> but, you know, I like I said, I read, I think, seven indie books, and uh, none of them were terrible. They definitely had uh, problems, but so do a lot of uh, traditionally published books. So there's almost a leveling out of quality between Big Six and self-published, where the self-published books are not as bad as one might expect, and the Big Six published ebooks are much worse than you might expect. Or you deserve as a c- consumer. I, I mean, Paying agency prices. Granted, I'm I'm cherry picking. I think off the top, I'm sure that there's dozens of just hideously written schlock that I'm, you know, not paying attention to. <laughs> but I don't mind uh, buying indie published or self published books. No, I don't either. I um, I am less likely 
though, to accept them for review from authors. And I've actually been trying to figure out how to say this on the site. Um, I'm getting really, really tired of people emailing me about a review and starting off with, I know you're just going to tear me apart and I'm, and I know you're just going to rip my book to shreds and I know that you're going to just excoriate my book, but I'm ready to be reviewed anyway. And I'm like, really? You got to stop that. I mean, I already don't want to read it because one, your job is to pitch your book as the best thing ever and explain why you think I would like it, not why you think I'm going to hate it. And two, I don't often tear a book apart unless it is egregiously ridiculous. And all too often it goes off the end of ridiculous and comes back around to hysterical, which means it's going to sell like crazy because it's hilarious. So actually you want that and it's probably not going to happen. Most often if, if I'm going to read a book, my most common reaction, which is the hardest to articulate is meh, it was there. Meh. I mean, I kind of like this part, but meh, I don't know something else now. It actually is rubbing my nerves terribly wrong to have so many email messages starting off with, I know you're just going to tear me apart, but I'm ready to submit for review. Well, I don't think I'm ready to review your book. Sorry. Yeah, those don't move the needle for me either. I got a really wonderful uh, pitch yesterday from a publicist at Tor who said, yeah, she wrote and said something like, um, it was for Claire Ashgrove's book that's um, out now. And she wrote, Hey, I read your review of stripped and Claire Ashgrove or or Tori Sinclair is also writes as Claire Ashgrove when we published her book. And I think you'll like it because of the same reasons that you like stripped. I mean, it was super personal and obviously she had read the book and I'm like, yeah, send it over. I'm ready for it. That's awesome. But, you know, on the opposite side, there's, I don't know how many of you, I'm sure you get a hundred of them, but I get several a day that are not even addressed. And, you know, I tweeted the other, tweeted yesterday that I kind of enjoy those because when they're addressed to Dear Blogger, I feel no guilt at all by deleting them without actually even reading the pitch. Oh, totally. And if they're sent to me and not BCC'd and CC'd to like everyone ever, I have no interest and, and, and I'm more than happy to just delete them without reading them. Yeah. I don't expect you to necessarily address me by name, but you can merge the individual email so that your pitch is more professional. You know, if agents are going to say, don't CC every agent, then I think we can say, don't CC every reviewer. However, you and I do sit on the golden stool. <laughs> Which, I mean, come on, I watch a lot of Beavis and Butthead and have a very active internal 10-year-old boy who went, <laughs> stool. Yeah, that that book um, by Jamie McGuire uh, called Beautiful Disaster, Angela James had um, loaned me that book. And I actually bought my own copy. I thought it was very compelling. But the story depicts a very disturbing uh, relationship. And I think if there was a girlfriend of yours that... Uh, was in that relationship, you'd be like staging an intervention for her. (laughs) And so, I mean, it's a, you know, my problem with authors who write provocative stories and the author pretty much acknowledges that this is a provocative story. Right. um, You got to prepare for people who are not going to like it and not like it violently. Yeah. If you're not right in the middle of the road, then you have to expect there's people who are going to react to it quite 
quite egregiously. That was why when we were talking about this yesterday, I was talking about authors who have responded to reviews in a really fair and I thought awesome manner. And I've received bad reviews. I've received bad reviews on, on the books that I've published that have more to do with the website than the actual book. They couldn't gripe about the website so anywhere else. So they griped about the website on the book review and gave it one star. Okay. That's what you want to do. That's, that's fine. You use the system as, as, as much as you like, whatever. I can't do anything about that. And I know it's not about my writing, but I also can't go out and change it. But then you have authors who like Julie Cohen. Um, when I reviewed girl from Mars, I had a really hard time believing that the heroine would be able to sustain a relationship because I thought that she was, I did not think that she could really take care of herself because when she started drawing a comic, she would forget to eat and forget to get up from the sofa and she would just work for days straight and her roommates would take care of her. They would make sure that she ate. And if she's going to move away from those caretakers um, who also had similar things that they did and move in with some other, somebody else, I really had doubts that she would be able to take care of herself and a relationship as an adult. Um, and the comments said, this really reads to me like this heroine has Asperger's syndrome. And it sounded a lot like somebody I know with Asperger's. And I really want to read this book. I think that's amazing. And there was this whole discussion of why the, the things that I mentioned um, sounded like Asperger's, which I unfortunately don't know a lot about. And Julie Cohen commented, this is so interesting because that's not what I intended, but I'm fascinated by how you're reading it. And she never said the readers were wrong. And she never said that what they were, what, what they were inferring from my review was untrue. She completely allowed them the room to make their own interpretation and read the book and make their own conclusions, but said that wasn't what I was trying to do, but I'm, I'm amazed at how it could be interpreted that way. And I think that's amazing. It was, it was a very generous response and I thought it, it had a lot of respect for how readers can interpret your work differently, even though they weren't saying anything bad. Well, and contrast that with the golden stool woman who, you know, if you don't like my book, there's something wrong with you. That is never the right response. <laughs> if you don't like my book, you're dumb. Really? That's where you're going. If you don't the like my book, you're stupid. And the problem that I had with that statement was that the negative reviews that I've seen of that book are totally accurate. I mean, I enjoyed the book, but it's flawed. And I would recommend it to people because it's super readable. And I wrote in my review that it's easy to get caught up in the romanticism of the strength of Trevor, the hero's feelings for the heroine. But, uh, there's no question that his relationship is very dysfunctional and scary. And so for anyone who's been a victim of domestic abuse or had someone who is sensitive to that issue or has had someone close to them um, be victims of that, I can see this being a, a terrible trigger. Yes. And, and, and I, I felt like if you're going to write a book about a guy whose first and last response is to use his fists and to destroy property and to, you know, at one point he punches someone and she says, you know, your fist was two inches from my face and I have blood all over me. Wow. That's really romantic. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the type of story you choose to tell. You, you 
I mean, you got to expect people to react to it negatively. negatively. You know, every, every so often I lull myself into thinking that there is a greater understanding of the role of reader reviewers and the idea that readers and anyone who consumes any entertainment is now encouraged to give their feedback, to review it and discuss it because TV shows don't forward you to the website for the network, which, you know, they paid $6 million for or more. They send you to Facebook. They, they send you to channels where you can follow them on Twitter and they encourage discussion because even if it's negative, you're talking about it is good for them. And so everyone is going to have a response to the things that they entertain, especially if they're encouraged to do so. And especially if a company does it right and says, wow, that really does suck. Let me help you out. Like Chobani, the yogurt, I griped about how I opened one that was moldy and it was probably totally my fault because I packed it badly in the Target bag. And they said, oh, that totally sucks. Could you give us the lot number so we can make sure there's no other um, complaints about that lot? And please give us your address. They sent me, oh, probably like $30 worth of coupons, like sick free, free one, um, free large size yogurts for $5.99, um, a dozen of the small ones for half off. I mean, they sent me really valuable coupons all because I said, it's totally my fault, but there was mold in my yogurt. If you get that kind of response, you're going to want to engage with the things that you consume, whether it's food or a book. And I, I, I lull myself into thinking that maybe there's a better understanding of the role of the reader review in the consumption of books. And do, do other genres have this problem or am I just going to get all whiny and say it's just romance? Because well, clearly... Clearly, it's YA is the big blow-ups of the year so far. All right. Any other topics you want to discuss? Yeah, I want to know the answer to this. I asked it on Goodreads, but I don't think anyone's answered me. So... Um, in several of the YA books I've read, they have the characters sleeping together platonically a lot. And I don't understand that. Is that a common thing amongst YA teens? Wait, say that again? In about, so, you know, I read these contemporary YA books. Right. And in several of them, the male and female protag, the love interests, sleep together platonically. Well, yeah, they like this doesn't mean anything, but we're going to bang. No, no, no. Sleep. Physically. Oh, as in physically uh, take a snooze. Right. Like they take a nap together. Not just nap like all night long. So, you know, regularly. I find that very strange. They're not. It's not just a nap because, you know, I can see the occasional falling asleep. I don't know. Maybe it's a device to add intimacy without adding sexual content. All right. Well, maybe someone will write in the answer to that. That would be awesome. If you have the answer, <laughs> SBJ podcast, we really want to know. Um, that would be awesome to find out because, dude, that's crazy. Um, so my recommendation for you, Sarah, is to read Angel Fall. You were talking about this book. I think it's on the top 10 list. I think you would like it. What There's another book I was thinking about recommending to you, and I can't even remember what it is now. Maybe it will occur to me. But it was an adult book, not a YA book. But I, you're not adverse to YA books like I usually am. No, no. I'm totally on board with YA. I like YA a lot. 
This did have some terrible things that happened to kids, though. <laughs> oh, no, not my thing, unfortunately. That's my discomfort zone. I'm I quite know, firm about its boundaries. Maybe you shouldn't read it. Because, yeah. Angel Fall? Yeah. All right. I will just accept your recommendation that it is good. And I will, uh, I will thereby recommend it to other people based on your recommendation, but I will not read it. <laughs> I am trying. Oh, you're going to hate me. I am trying to get by, get through the bro magnet. Oh, you don't like it? There are scenes where I am laughing out loud, but I just don't believe that this guy is a guy. Oh, see, and, and I wrote that in my review. I said that I don't know if this is an accurate portrayal, but it was a consistent portrayal. Yes, it was very consistent. I actually, <coughs> excuse me, I had Adam download a sample and he read it and he said, it's funny, but he said it didn't seem to be a real guy it was it was too much it was overdone on the guyness and i said well would you be willing to send that to some of your friends and see what they think and he said i think they would all say you know it's it's good but it's a little too much and i and i think that this is a woman writing a man well but you know that falls under my whole theory about exaggeration this is true i just thought it was hilarious and and there are scenes where i where i where i howled there are some very funny scenes this this is a 33-year-old bachelor, so I think, you know, maybe married men would say that it's too much because that's not the life, you know, that's obviously. That's not the life he had, that they lead, yeah. Right. He had to transform his life into something, and, and his transformation is consistent, and that was enough for me. Yep. Kind of like the historical accuracy thing for you. <laughs> Consistency is a powerful thing. And that's all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Next podcast will feature your answers to what we should call it when the hymen is in the wrong place. Let me tell you, you people are hysterical. So we're going to read all those answers and pick our winner in the next podcast. So stay tuned for that. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, you can always email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me online at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. You can find Jane at dearauthor.com. And we're on Twitter and we're on Facebook. And, you know, sometimes I even go to the grocery store. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. As usual, the music has been provided by Sassy Outwater. And yes, this is Pete Bog Fairies because we like them a lot. Thank you again for joining us and listening in. And as always, we wish you the very best of reading. <laughs> <laughs>